Sunday was Mother's Day. Uh, happy Mother's Day. All you mothers and uh, extended mothers, which I kind of consider myself to be. So Mother's Day gives us a chance to celebrate mothers. And we all have mothers. And some of those what mothers are quite wonderful. I've got a wonderful mother. I'm very fortunate. And some of our mothers are not quite so wonderful, or were not quite so wonderful. It's okay. We don't get to choose, do we? I'm going to talk tonight about archetypal mothering energy. Archetypes are mental models we create to um, define something or be able to understand something. And your mother, being a human being, may not match the archetypes I talk about. But no matter who she is or what she did or did not do for you, we can be grateful for our mother's strengths and we can be forgiving of our mother's weaknesses. She's just a human being like us. Becoming a mother can be shockingly easy, uh, accidental even. And I think in our current political climate in the US, it might be even more accidental than it has been the last 50 years. But also becoming a mother can be very difficult. Um, nature endowed us all with the, with the physicality to have offspring, to create offspring, but that doesn't guarantee that it's going to work. And it doesn't guarantee that when we want it to work, it's going to work. So maybe becoming a mother has been difficult for some of us. So while we're all born of a mother, we don't all get to be a mother. Maybe that's a little sad for some of us. What I really want to focus on tonight is the difference between mother and mothering. So mother the noun and mothering the verb. Because I think that um, the mothering the verb is the really important part. So let's start about let's talk about the noun version first. So mother the noun is someone who gives birth. And there, of course, are human mothers, which we all know because we have one. But there's also other kinds of mothers. You know, animals, of course, can be mothers. We're animals. So it doesn't matter if you're a chimp or a chihuahua or a chimpanzee. Uh, all those animals um, can be mothers in the noun sense. And even going out way broader, uh, galaxies can be mothers. In galaxies, there are often these huge clouds of gas that the gravity condenses and condenses and condenses and condenses, and then poof, a star is born. 
galaxies they have they have star nurseries in them sometimes they're giving birth to stars and we can thank that whole process for the fact that we are even here hmm. i think uh, a very significant mother that we that we need to um, honor is mother earth Mother Earth has been recycling the same elements again and again and again to make us and remake us and remake us in all sorts of forms. And if you think about how Mother Earth has taken the raw materials that make up me right now, well, those raw materials have been uncountably many things for millions, hundreds of millions, billions of years. And even before Earth came to exist, those elements made up billions of things. So Mother Earth is remaking us all the time, all the time. And yet we carry this idea that we were born from nothing and that we'll die and return to nothing. This tremendous fear that we're nothing. But maybe if we just have a good chat with Mother Earth, we won't feel that way anymore. That we can see that we really are ashes to ashes, dust to dust, stardust to stardust. Hmm. So that's the nouny version. And that's a little less interesting to me than the verb version of mothering. So that's what I really want to spend the time talking about mostly. To mother is to act. That's a verb. That's not a noun. The mother is to act. Now, if I think of mothering as only an object, as only my physical mother, I'm missing the broadest part of the story. I'm missing my mother's mothering. My mom was a, a, a childhood development major in college. And when she had uh, her three children, she realized that uh, having the children was not enough, that her job was much, much bigger than that. And she was really struck by the enormity of the job of mothering. And she talks about wearing out a, a book called Ages and Stages that we'd be, we'd be growing and changing. And she went through two copies of that book because she just wore it out. So this action of mothering is the action of love. Hmm. To mother isn't just to create a new life like my own mother discovered, but it's to love and nurture that life. And even further, to love and nurture that life at the expense of your own, or at least the potential expense of your own. And when a mother gives birth, her world changes. Just changes. What for many women may have been a life lived for herself is instantly transformed into a life lived for another. Into a life suffused with loving. I've had the pleasure to witness this twice in my life when my wife Sandra gave birth to Malia and then to Blake. 
and those births transformed Sandra. I, I saw her become transformed from a woman making room for herself in the world to a mother making room for her children. Really changed her. I could even see it in her gardening. She used to grow flowers for her benefit because she liked the flowers. But after she gave birth, she began to grow flowers for the flower's benefit. I think she also started growing more vegetables too. There's the act of loving, feeding your family. It seems to me that mothers are our shared vision of what love is. And those shared visions of love uh, have certain archetypes. I'd like to voice three of them tonight, three of those archetypes that sort of give us our shared vision of what love as expressed by a mother is. So the first one is Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa gave her life for the care of others' lives. She went into the poorest neighborhoods in a very poor and crowded city, and she found the people who were ill and dying on the street, alone, abandoned, neglected, and she took them in and cared for them. And this isn't a glamorous life. This isn't an easy life. She gave her life to care for other lives. And another aspect of Mother Teresa that I think is really important is she was brilliant at marshalling resources from wealthy people and using those to care for the outcast and the vulnerable. And I think these are three, three kinds of, of mother archetypes that we have. We have the archetype of self-sacrificing love that Mother Teresa showed us. The archetype of protecting the vulnerable and the archetype of gathering resources for the benefit of others. And that's the Mother Teresa archetype. The second one um, I want to bring forward is of Mother Mary. She was young. She was powerless. She was, at least when we meet her in the story, homeless. But she used her mother's love to protect, really, love itself. If we think of Christ as love itself, she used her mother's love to love Christ and love itself. She loved the embodiment of love. I was a, a few weeks ago in uh, New York City and spent two days at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And there's a huge section of sculptures, medieval sculptures of, of, um, from Europe, of many of Mary. And many of them are Mary tending to the body of Christ after he was killed, after he was crucified. And what was depicted on her face again and again was this deep grief. 
And as I looked at it, I saw that that expression of grief, a mother's love at having lost her son, was one of our deepest expressions of grief that I can imagine. It cuts us all to the core to see that grief, that mother's grief presented. It's really moving. So the archetypes of Mother Mary that I think are really um, important, that, that raising of someone that may be greater than you can imagine. You know, did she know that this little baby that she gave birth to would be one of the most important figures in history? I think every mother has to think that at some degree, that this person is so important, this person might change the world. Mahapajapati, who was the Buddha's stepmother, she thought the same thing in the, in the writings that she's left, that she couldn't have imagined that he would be such a, uh, an important, pivotal person for good in the world. But of course she knew right from the beginning, like every mother knows, this is, this is the potential in my child. So I don't know whether to call that awe or maybe whether to call that sympathetic joy, getting great joy from nurturing someone that may be, that may so far pass you, but not in a threatening way, but in a way that says, ah, oh, yes, this is love. Then the other archetype I think that Mother Mary shows us is the archetype of purity, a kind of love that's untainted by selfishness. Now the third archetype comes from our tradition, and that's the archetype of Avalokiteshvara. As we know, Avalokiteshvara listens to the cries of the world with open arms. Sometimes a thousand open arms in an ornate statue with an eye in each palm, listening, 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 never turning away. Most of us don't listen like that. Most of us listen to solve a problem for someone or to dismiss that person or to just wait until they shut up so we can start talking. But not Avalokiteshvara. Avalokiteshvara listens with a mother's open-heartedness. For many of us, a mother has been someone we can go to to be heard. When no one else can listen, our mother can listen. Or for a mother, our children can come to us and we can hear them. This is the Avalokiteshvara energy of motherhood. I also like Avalokiteshvara as an archetype for motherhood because Avalokiteshvara started out as a man. Avalokiteshvara was a disciple of the Buddha, an actual person. And eventually, over time, men, uh, molded with Kuan Yin from China and became a woman. So I really like that because I have played a lot of the mothering energy in my family. And so I feel like, okay, yeah, this, this sort of speaks for me. 
So the archetype uh, for Avalokiteshvara is, is presence, a deep abiding presence, a presence that shows that listening is love, that a mother by hearing transforms. And I also feel like Avalokiteshvara's uh, archetype would be equanimity as well, because that those thousand hands with the eyes in Avalokiteshvara, they don't discriminate. They don't say you're worthy of listening and you're not. They those all those eyes see all the pain, equally. Not turning anyone away. And a mother is like that. A mother loves all her children. They're all different. They need different things, but a mother mother loves them all. That's some of the archetypal energy. Now, not all of us have had good experiences with our mothers, and maybe some of us have feelings that we didn't mother very well. So I want to talk about the shadow of mothering. Because anytime we have an archetype of a positive variety, there's a shadow right there as well. They go together. <clears throat> I think of mothering's shadow as smothering. So you can mother or you can smother. So what are those uh, what are those smothering shadows? Well, the first one is overprotection. Now, a mother protects her children, but if that goes too far and because becomes overprotection, a mother can infantilize and hinder the growth of their child. Another shadow would be control. Um, a mother needs to have control of her children, especially when they're young. I know when my children were three years old and they we were walking down the sidewalk and they turned to run into the street, it was very clear my job was to grab them and physically stop them from running into the street. Control, right? But if I don't let go of that control, as time goes on and they grow into more and more capable, um, self-reliant people, well, that might be the shadow of control. There was a lot of this in my family. Uh, it, I was in my 40s. I never got to leave the kids' table at my grandparents' house. <laughs> never happened. They moved into a, a, a care home before I graduated from the kids' table. Uh, another shadow, I think, of motherhood is manipulation. A mother wants so badly for a child's life to go well that it can slip over into manipulating that child and forcing that child to be what you want it to be instead of what it wants to be. 
Maybe some of us have unfulfilled desires, unfulfilled dreams, and so we sometimes look to our children to fill that for us. So we manipulate them, and we try and get them to do what we want them to do for our benefit, not for their benefit. If you've had difficulty with your mother, you can probably name quite a few more shadows of motherhood. Or if you have regrets about your own relationship with that, those people you care for, you might be able to, to name some more. But that's okay because we're all humans and we all have shadows. We cannot escape it. We do our best and we make mistakes. So shall we agree to forgive our mothers for their shadows? Shall we agree to forgive ourselves for our mistakes in the way we've nurtured others? Can we trust that we're doing our best even when we make mistakes? I hope so. I hope we don't have to go through life either burdened by anger and recrimination or burdened by regrets about how we were mothered or how we have mothered. And just because our mother has a shadow doesn't mean we can't be grateful for those elements of her that are beautiful and that nurtured us so much. I think it's easy for us to get locked into an idea that we really know the truth about our childhood. But if you think about it, the ideas we gained in our childhood were created by a young mind, maybe three, four, five years old. And that mind is limited in its ability to see things clearly and to come up with uh, accurate um, ideas and solutions. So it may well be that we're carrying wrong ideas about our mothers. And Thich Nhat Hanh asks us all the time, are you sure? So when I find myself getting angry about how I was raised, if I ask, am I sure? It takes away the certainty and the self-righteousness. And I say, no, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. Makes it easier for me to forgive. That's all I want to say about shadows. <clears throat> I do want to end by, t by talking about the universality of motherhood. You know, I mentioned that I was uh, a lot of the mothering energy in my family for my children. I was the stay-at-home dad. So it was natural for us. It was natural for Sandra and I to do that. She was more the, the, the energy of going out into the world, into the workplace, and I was more the energy of nurturing. Um, so while we can't all be mothers in the noun sense, there's, there's no way this body would ever give birth to a baby. I can't in the noun sense be a mother. I think we all can be mothers in the verb sense. We all can mother. What might that look like? 
Well, I think, first of all, each one of us is free to mother ourselves. Our, our upbringing has left us with tender spots. Every one of us has these tender spots. Every one of us has these wounds. And we can care for those wounds. We can mother ourselves in a way that we need to be mothered. We can offer that love and that protection. It's such a wonderful thing to be able to do for ourselves. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh taught us to do that. He taught us to use that sort of language. When we're suffering, we turn to, each, turn to ourselves and say, Oh, my dear, I'm here for you. I see that you're suffering. Please tell me. I'm here to listen. This is the words of self-mothering. And when we do that, that makes us able to mother each other. When we can tend to those wounds in ourselves, then our heart is free to extend that mothering to others. And who are those others? Well, they can be anybody. They can be the young. They can be the old. They can be the people who are just like us or the people who are different from us. They can be the poor. They can be the wealthy. Because all of us suffer. All of us need the mothering energy. That other might be future generations. We can mother the future generations. They need us. Right now, there's so much hopelessness in younger generations. So much of feeling like they've been given an earth that is failing and a culture that is failing, feeling they don't have the economic opportunities we had, feeling the burden of our selfishness. So we can younger, we can mother younger generations. Very important. But we can even mother past generations. I know that sounds a little bit funny, but we can mother past generations by forgiving them, by expressing our gratitude, by carrying forward their dreams and their desires, making it happen. I know that at Ty's death, I felt, felt that very strongly, that I can mother the past generation that has, in Ty that has lived and died and I feel my spiritual ancestors in me very strongly. And I feel like I can mother them by carrying out their dreams. But most importantly, I think we can mother the whole earth. We can mother Mother Earth. We can care for this planet and all that are part of this planet. We can do that by being like Mother Teresa, for instance, 
by collecting the outcasts and marshalling the world's resources for their care. We can mother the earth like, like a Mother Mary by loving something greater than ourselves, by loving this whole earth, this precious planet that gave birth to us all, that will give birth to all the future generations. That's loving something greater than ourselves. And we can mother the whole earth like Avalokiteshvara by listening deeply to the needs of this world and responding to those needs with skill and kindness. Avalokiteshvara doesn't just have an eye in her palm, she also holds a tool in each one of those hands, a tool appropriate to the need that she sees. And we can do that for the earth, caring for the climate, caring for the natural world, the plants, the animals, the minerals, living lightly on the earth. These are all ways of caring for our mother. There is so much suffering on our earth that needs a mother's love. Imagine if we were able to care for our political dysfunction with a mother's love. Listening, responding with kindness. We could make a lot of changes with mother's love. So let's look to our own mothers with gratitude and forgiveness. Gratitude for all they've given us and forgiveness for their humanness. And let's honor our mothers by becoming mothers to all.